You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball, my co-host, John McEwen. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing Segro, British American Tobacco, Primary Health Properties, Money Supermarket, Nestle and Wix. So John, do you want to kick us off with Segro? Yeah, so Segro, for anybody who doesn't know, is Britain's biggest listed property company, which released its full year results on Friday. And they were very positive. And it was really on the back of the acceleration of the change in consumer habits and online shopping, which resulted in an increased demand for warehouse space. Some of the highlights from the results were an adjusted pre-tax profit of 296.5 million, which was up 10.8% compared with the results from 2019. Adjusted net asset value per share is up 16.3%. A record leasing and asset management performance with 77.9 million of new headline rent in 2020, including a 41 1 million pounds of new pre-let agreements, net capital investment of 1.3 billion pounds through key strategic asset acquisitions, development projects and land purchases, near-term earnings prospects underpinned by 1.2 million of potential rents of which 75% has been pre-let substantially de-risking the 2021 pipeline, over 1 billion pounds of new equity and debt financing helping strengthen the balance sheet further loan to value of 24% and for the 2020 full year dividend increased by 6.8% to 21.1 pence per share, which gives you a yield of about 2.2%. So can you say that they've benefited from tenants such as Ocado and Amazon in comparison with other companies in a similar sector, British land and land securities, which are primarily office and shopping centre rivals. And about 50% of Segro's tenants are connected with online deliveries in some form, whether it's online operations directly or parcel couriers and retailers. In 2020, Segro collected 98%, showing how resilient it is even with COVID and arguably maybe benefiting from it. And Segro now trades at a 24% premium to its net asset value. Sam? What do you think of these results and Segro as a company? I thought they were very impressive results. My only real complaint is that the results are reflected in the price. But I thought for 98% rent collection, if you compare that to some, like, for example, we've looked at British Lanco and Lansec in the last few months, and they weren't anywhere near that. I think the only one that really comes close is uh, Tritax Big Box REIT. But unfortunately, it, it does command a premium, and especially just the, the type of properties it's in. They're, they're very desirable properties. It's riding on the back of a lot of these trends like e-commerce and yeah, impressive results. I like the company. I just think it's quite pricey. It's quite How pricey. Uh, yeah, no, very much like the company. It is one that we chose for our fantasy portfolio, but it's, yeah, the it's quality like and the sort of, I suppose, the momentum with it is reflected in the price. Looks like we're up a little bit now. We might be up like oh, we will, we'll, uh, uh, so in the sort of 
six seven weeks we're sort of not not doing too badly then and they've increased yeah a slight rise in the dividends as well which is always positive but not that you're buying this at the moment for the dividend if you work it out on the pe ratio the pe ratio seems very expensive i calculated 38 Mm. but because of all the properties, it's a premium to net. If you look at it as a premium to net assets, which I think you said like a twenty-four percent, that's a lot. It makes a yeah. lot more sense. I guess. I guess they've probably benefited from a rise in the value of their properties because of what's happened in the last year. Which exactly, exactly why they that, pushed up. That's right, and it's a big company. It's got an eleven, well, over eleven and a half billion market cap now. Mm. Dividend yeah. yield of about two point two percent, isn't it? Yeah. Which I think is reasonable. It it's is, not, yeah. It's not you're not at the moment buying it for the dividend. I suppose it's a very safe investment, isn't it? Because providing the value of the properties don't decrease, it can only drop so much. Like if it's if it were to start trading below the net asset value, and you didn't think the net assets were impaired in any way or likely to decrease in value, then you get a lot more of a floor for it that you don't get with other types of shares. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's a company I after these results, I still, yeah, it's yeah, it's not cheap, but it's it's one I'd consider adding to. I think, and we, yeah, like we say, we put it in the portfolio at the beginning, the fantasy portfolio at the beginning of the year. Do you own it personally? I don't. <laughs> I've been tempted to buy it at points, and then never really pulled the trigger. This was well before COVID, and sort of regretting it now. Yeah, the share performance. I mean, over one year, it's only up 5.87%, but two years, it's up 50%. Three years, it's up 68%. And five years, it's up 136%. Yeah. I think I was last looking at it in maybe like 2017. So <laughs> 68% plus dividends. Yeah. Oh, well. That's life. Let, let's move on. British American Tobacco. Yes. So British American Tobacco have reported their full year results just to save us the time. All six of the companies we're talking about today have reported full year results to 31 December 2020. So for British American Tobacco, their full year adjusted revenue, which excludes the impact of exchange rates, grew 3.3% to 25.8 billion. And that was driven by growth in both combustibles and the new category items. They've announced a full year dividend of 215.6p per share which is up 2.5% on last year and equals 65% of the adjusted earnings per share. They've said they expect 3 to 5% revenue growth in 2021 and high single-figure earnings figures per share growth. And the shares fell 5.7% on the announcement of the results. More of a breakdown. The overall combustibles, which is just traditional cigarettes, sales rose 2.8% to $23.6 And this was driven entirely by price increases as volumes fell 4.6%. New categories grew sales 15.4%, but that's off a much smaller base. So they only grew to 1.4 billion. So yeah, so the revenue split is 23.6 billion combustibles, 1.4 billion new category. US revenue rose 11.2% to 11.5 billion, primarily reflecting 9.9% growth in combustibles to 10 billion. The growth was again driven by price increases as volumes grew only 0.5%. New categories, revenue grew 82.9% in the US to 396 million, primarily thanks to the strength of Vapor and Views brands in particular. Operating profits rose 15.5% to 5.8 billion. 
Asia Pacific and the Middle East revenues fell 9.9% to 4.6 billion, driven by a 7.2% fall in volumes. This was largely because of reduced global travel retail, excise tax increases and minimum pricing in Indonesia. Combustibles revenue fell 7.7% to 4 billion and new categories revenue fell 25% to 507 million. The fall in new categories revenue was driven by higher increased excise taxes in Japan and a poor performance from the SENS brand, which has been withdrawn. Operating profit fell 7.3% to 1.9 billion. In Europe and North Africa, revenue rose 2.1% to 6.2 billion and operating profits were down 2.4% at 2.1 billion. Combustibles revenue rose 0.5% to 5.5 billion as volumes fell 4.1%. New categories revenue rose 49.6% to 478 million thanks to strength in THP and modern oral. Vapor revenue grew just 0.2%, despite a 23% rise in volumes as British American tobacco cut prices to drive sales. In the Americas and Sub-Saharan Africa, revenues rose 1.4% to 4.3 billion as price increases in new categories, growth offset declining combustibles volumes and pandemic-related restrictions, notably in South Africa. Operating profit fell 2.5% to 1.8 billion. Free cash flow after dividend payments rose 32.7% to 2.6 billion thanks to higher cash generation and lower capital spending. Adjusted net debt fell 5.3% to 39.5 billion, which is 3.3 times adjusted cash profits. And the group plans to bring this ratio down to around three times in the current financial year. In terms of the valuation, it's currently trading at a 12 month forward price to earnings ratio of eight, and that compares to a 10 year average of 13.8 and the prospective dividend yield is 8.1%. The biggest risk for the business uh, increase in regulation and particularly in, in the US menthol market. There's been mm. talk of banning menthol cigarettes completely and the British American Tobacco's Newport brand is actually the dominant player in the US. And the UK, EU and Turkey have already made the move, although the impact has been immaterial as, as smokers just switch to other products. So I guess if the US ban results in the same switch, that wouldn't really be an issue anyway. Thoughts on these results, John? So, I mean, I, I see how the market responded and there's a bit of a sell-off, but to me, those results sounded fairly robust. And I think you were probably always expecting stick volumes to go down by a few percent, but they managed to increase profits and, well, pr predominantly by increasing the price. They did have some headwinds, you know, like you say, with the travel and the sale of duty-free cigarettes, but still, and, you know, with the banning of menthol in some countries, but still managed to increase profits. I, I mean, I think it shows how strong the company is really and how defensive it is too. And then when it's trading at a forward price to earnings of, what, what do you say, eight? Eight. I mean, I think it becomes incredibly attractive from a valuation perspective what, yeah, what do you think i agree the only issue i'd have with it is they were good results i as time goes on i struggle more and more to see the new category items actually replacing the traditional combustibles so mm. i do just wonder if they'd be better off just returning more cash to shareholders and just saying right well we're going to be declining long term, but we're going to be doing like more. For example, they could start doing share buybacks as well. Like they could pay yeah. off the debt more and just yeah. stuff like that. They could almost, 
I guess if they just accepted their decline and just focused on returning as much value to shareholders, maybe that would be a bit better. No, that's right. And I think the other thing is they faced a lot of resistance when they've moved into these reduced harm products like the vaping, which perhaps wouldn't have been expected, you know, previously, I guess there might have been an assumption made that, well, if you're not selling regular, extremely harmful products like ordinary sort of combustible cigarettes, if you were a business that you were then proposing on moving to vaping, which is not necessarily harmless, but is less harmful than regular cigarettes, that you'd expect that perhaps from a health reduction or from a harm reduction point of view might have been a bit more welcomed, but it obviously it hasn't been. And uh, you saw Marlboro with them buying Juul and then in the US, the banning of flavoured vapes. It's not as benign or there's sorry, there's not there's much more regulation now that's come in against those sort of next generation products. But then all of these big tobacco companies have spent a lot on investing in those next generation products, which now they're not able to make as much profit on them as they they previously expected. Mm. They've grown their dividend every year since 1999. Yeah. So I guess if it it, it just depends, I think it just depends on how long you think it will take for the decline of the business because so far they've been able to offset volume decreases with price increases and that can't go on indefinitely but depending on how many more years you think it can go on for and then what that eventual decline would be like and how steep it'd be i mean when you get an eight percent of your money back a year if you think it's yeah. 10 years time if you think that they can carry on doing it for another 10 years and given the history of raising the dividend 10 years time you you've got 80 percent of your money back yeah, and that's assuming that you know that's assuming that the company could still be the same valuation as well. Yeah, it could be. You do wonder with these companies because they've you know they've been massively sold off in the last few years, especially with an increased move to sort of ESG investing. Whether there's going to be a correction, you know, with the price at some point, but I don't yes. know. In terms of the share performance, the shares are down twenty three percent over one year, eight percent over two years. 42% over three years and 33% over five years. Although that just goes back one year at a time. It doesn't really take into account the fact. So the shares peaked at about £55 a share in, when would it have been, about 2017. Yeah. And they're now at £25 a share, which is pretty similar to where they were trading 10 years ago. Mm. I mean, yeah. they, they look very, very cheap. I th- yeah, I think they probably look like some of the what you might consider the bargains of the FTSE 100 at the moment. Mm. I think that is partly. I mean, we've not. This is the first time we've talked about or covered British American Tobacco's results. I think, but we've covered Imperial Brands twice, and it's basically the same story. Where yeah, I think if you don't have the ethical concerns, yeah, it's just so cheap that it becomes quite difficult. To what, lose money, out, in my opinion. Out, out of interest, what do you think about the debt that British American Tobacco is carrying? I think when you look at the amount of cash they're generating, I don't think it's particularly concerning. And they could all like, it, it just doesn't it just doesn't yeah. really seem concerning to talk because they they've got, I mean, what was the figure? I think they have like what was it, 2.4 billion they've got left mm. after paying out a 65% dividend. So yeah, I know they've got debt of about 30 billion, but you 
if you pay it off at that rate, it soon starts to come down. Yeah. So it, no. at the minute, I think it's at a very manageable level. Yeah. Like, I yeah. guess when the interest rates are, I don't know what the interest's like on that debt, but I can't imagine it's very high. No, no, I can't. So they're probably not I, I don't think of it. They're probably not particularly incentivized to pay it off at the minute. <laughs> That's right. Okay, fine. So the next company we've got on the list is Primary Health Properties. And this is a smaller company and one that you may not have heard of, but it's the UK's second largest owner of GP surgeries. And it's essentially a real estate investment trust. So they own GP surgeries and then they let them back to sort of groups of GPs on a long-term leases, which provides a very steady income. And it's essentially underwritten by the government. So I think at least 90% of the rent is underwritten by the government. And they've got about a night, well, they've got 99.6% occupancy. The other 10%, I think, largely comes from pharmacies, which are also on the sites of GP surgeries. Their net rental income for the year ended 31st of December 2020, came in at 131.2 million, which was up 13.4% from 115.7 million in 2019. Adjusted earnings up to 73.1 million in 2020 from 59.7 million in 2019 or an increase of about 22.4% and they've announced a dividend payment of 5.9p per share up 5.4% on the previous year they have 23 purpose built medical centers acquired in the last year for approximately 58 million pounds with further good asset management opportunities property portfolio for the year just gone is valued at 2.576 billion reflecting a net initial yield of 4.81%. The group's net debt stood at 1.1 billion and the loan to value ratio was 41%. Chairman announced that in July 2020 we successfully completed an oversubscribed equity placement raising 140 million pounds to capitalize on the group's strong pipeline of long-standing investments, forward-funded developments and asset management projects. The placing increased the group's market capitalization to around 2 billion and the property portfolio now stands at just under 2.6 billion across 513 assets including 18 in Ireland. The July placing followed the deployment of 100 million pounds raised from the September 2019 equity raise by the first half of 2020, demonstrating the group's ability to successfully invest in opportunities that are generating value for all our stakeholders. The net proceeds from the July placing further improved the group's already robust capital position, providing significant levels of liquidity and loan covenant headroom, with 361.5 million of undrawn loan facilities in cash, helping to maintain an appropriate loan to value ratio at 41% as of the 31st of December, 2020. As previously announced, the July placing, the company lowered the upper range of the loan-to-value ratio from 55% to 50%. The group continues to have a strong active pipeline of potential acquisitions, both in the UK and Ireland, totaling approximately £129 million, including £59 million under offer, together with an additional pipeline from Nexus Developments, totaling £80 million, noted below. So, Sam, primary health properties, what do you make of it? I wasn't sure on it. Um, so the the PE ratio is about 26, but because, like you say, it's a REIT, 
most of that's actually paid out as a dividend. So it's got a prospective yield of 4.2%. And it's a similar situation with Segro where providing the properties hold their value, you'd only expect the share price to fall so far, just because if you ended up with a situation where the value of the company was lower than the ownership of the properties were worth, then it's not likely to carry on for very long. So it's quite a safe investment, I think. It's, I'd certainly rather have my money in that in a British land co or something like that. It's, it's exposed to an area where you'd only expect it to grow rather than decrease. You know, the occupancy rate is 99.6%. Yes. You can see why it commands a premium. I guess my biggest issue with it was that looking at like the past five years of financials, the revenue growth was very impressive but the problem is it's been mainly driven by acquisitions so when you actually strip mm. that down and look at the earnings per share growth that's not really moved yeah um, and it's been quite lumpy actually so they're growing but they're not really growing in a way where they seem to be delivering any extra value for shareholders mm. that, that being said I, I, I find the actual like i guess the actual like thesis of the investment and what they actually do i find it quite attractive so yeah, I guess I'm just not really sure on it. Yeah. You? No, I, similarly, I think the, the very attractive things are that when they do open a new surgery and they take on the GPs to occupy it, they sign them up for, I think it's a minimum of 15 years. So you've got a group of GPs occupying it, paying rent for 15 years, and essentially it's the rent is provided for by the government. So you've got these, this incredibly safe income income stream, which, I mean, the other REITs, you can't really say the same for. So I think that's something that's, yeah, very attractive. But like you say, the concerning thing is that it is just all coming from sort of acquisitions. That's how they're growing rather than anything sort of organic underlying that. Although in, in their defence, as a REIT, they are obliged to pay out the majority of their profits as dividends. So it does make it hard to grow organically. <laughs> Maybe that was a stupid thing for me. Oh, you can... No, I, I've only just thought of that now. Um, yeah. But even still, like, what's the point of growing if you're not actually going to increase yeah. your earnings? Because like, what, what's the point in being bigger if it's not actually delivering any value for the shareholders? It still just seems a bit... It's a bit of a waste of time, isn't it, really? <laughs> No, no, I, I, I take your point there. I like the business model, though. So yeah. it's, it's one yeah. I would revisit, I guess. And I mean, it has, if you'd held the shares for five years, excluding the dividend yields, which is a, currently about 4%, it's, in terms of the share price, is up 40%. So it's, well, definitely beaten the market and performed, you know, very, very well, really. Because it's 2.5 billion that's what the the property's valued at. Debt's the debt? about a billion. And then the market cap is about just under 2 billion. So it's, it's similar to Segro, about like 24, 25%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, no, maybe it's more like a third, isn't it, actually? Yeah. But yes. Which makes sense, kind of. Yeah. I'd expect that premium to come down a bit if other REITs' collection of rents start to go back up to normal levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think at the minute for your your PHPs and your Segros, it is worth paying more because they can actually collect the rent. 
Yeah. And if you wanted it as part like an income play in your portfolio, it's probably very good. Yeah. But it depends. It, it depends what you're after, really. But for income, I think that's it'd probably be one of the safer ones to go for. Threats, I guess, if you had any radical change in the NHS, which seems less likely now. But I know sort of the in the last Labour manifesto, these sorts of arrangements, you might find that they would be under threat from being nationalised, which obviously from PHP's point of view would be terrible. But at the moment and the current political environment, that seems very unlikely. So it's probably a safe income stream for a good few years yet. Yeah. So should we move on to money supermarket? Yeah. Also in the fantasy portfolio. Okay. You want to tell us about money supermarket then, Sam? Yep. So money supermarket, who, for anyone who doesn't know, are the price comparison website, have released their full year results to 31 December 2020. So I'll just go through the earnings presentation. So for the full year, they've reported a revenue decrease of 11%, 345 million pounds. They reported an adjusted EBITDA decrease of 24% to 108 million pounds. Just as a side note, because we talked about it with Ricardo, they are they are actually a business where I think using earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization as a metric makes a lot more sense because I wouldn't expect the depreciation and amortization really to be that large because all they've got to do is just maintain the website. Earnings per share decreased 27% to 12.9p a share. Operating cash flow decreased 26% to 84 million. However, they've maintained the dividend per share at 11.71 pence, which represents a yield of at the current share price, just over 4%. The group revenues were down 11% in total for the year. However, if they exclude the travel, they were only down 4% for the year. And insurance market was broadly flat year over year, excluding travel insurance. And they saw strong market growth in car insurance, which offset weaker home and life insurance. The home services division was flat. However, they've noted that that was flat compared to an exceptional 2019. And they managed to grow their share in the energy markets and home communications was double digit growth. The money market was weak due to tighter lending criteria and low banking product availability. They've said that for the 2021 year, the current lockdown is impacting them worse than it was in Q4. And they've not really been able to give any clear guidance because it just depends how quickly lockdowns are lifted and things get back to normal. So the impact of the money division, which is basically like mortgage products and stuff like that, and mortgage comparisons, but the impact of that is that it's dragged down the gross margin because um, that was one of the higher margin parts of the business. So in 2019, they had a gross margin of 68.6%, and that's dropped to 66.5% for 2020. They have cut costs 4% for the year, which is actually in line with revenue excluding travel. And for some of the other metrics they've given, they've said that they helped the customers save £2 billion for the year, and that's flat. That's exactly the same as it was in 2019. They have a net promoter score of 72 compared to 74 in 2019. The marketing margin has dropped from 61% to 57%, which is by far their biggest expense. 
they reported 11.5 million active users, and that's a decrease from 13.1 million. I'm not particularly concerned by that just because the travel been hit so heavily. And also they did probably a lot of the users, the one-off users was probably on the money side of the business. So if that's slowing down, you would expect a decrease. And the revenue per active user has dropped slightly from £16.40 to £16.19. And they reported strong cash conversion with £83.9 million operating cash flow. And they have net, they had net cash of £23.6 million at 31 December 2020. Peter Duffy, the CEO, said, we have again helped millions of UK households save on their bills whilst providing indispensable financial advice throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Our business is resilient and our dividend reflects our confidence for the future. Our job now is to encourage consumers to engage with us more and save on more of their bills. We will use our data better so customers find our sites easier to use and are reminded when there are savings available to them. So in terms of the valuation, market cap is 1.53 billion and it's trading at a PE ratio 21.91. So almost 22 and the dividend yields 4.1%. However, I think it is worth pointing out that PE ratio is very depressed. So that's based on earnings per share of 12.9p and that compares to 17.7p the year before and 16.2p the year before that. So if you were to take a normalized earnings, so I'll use the 2018 earnings of 16.2p instead, just so it's a bit more conservative you would actually, you'd get a normalized earnings per share of about 17. And if you were to use the 2019 figures, which I don't see any reason why they wouldn't actually get back to those eventually, you'd get an earnings per share of 16. And that's basically for a business that's been growing revenue at about 10% a year. Earnings per share had also been growing by, growing by a similar amount. So it's sort of high single digit growth. And they are the market leader in their field. So I find the financials excluding 2020 are extremely attractive. I think once everything does go back to normal, I, I genuinely, I do just see it bouncing back. And Do you think it's, a, it's an opportunity to get it at a reasonable valuation now? I think so, yeah. I mean, even, even 21 times earnings for a business that's growing mm. at high single digits every year and a 4% dividend yields, the market leader and their increase in market share. It, it's, I mean, I own it personally, so I'm biased, but to me, it just seems like a bit of a no-brainer. Down, any downside, potential downside? There's not a huge amount of differentiation, really. You know, whether you use Money Supermarket or Go Compare or Compare the Market, I don't think there's masses of differentiation, but I guess that helps them as the market leader because they maybe have a little bit more negotiating power with providers. There's also the possibility of, more insurance insurers for example just saying well you've got to come to us direct to get a quote like aviva and direct line do but i don't see it as an industry that's going i guess as well regulation because i guess for something like the utility side of the business if price caps were brought in you'd possibly have less shopping around because you potentially get more more people charging the same price but that being said i, I don't think i don't consider any of those threats to be worrying or significant to be honest what about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah. No, I suppose it's a business that I haven't really looked at, but the more I hear about it and the more I suppose you see 2020 is potentially an, an anomaly, then I think 
like you say, it's it's sort of potentially attract a, a quality business to get at an attractive price at the moment. I was going to ask, what's its market cap? One point five three billion. Billion. Okay. And it's it's the market leader as well. It, yeah. It was when we looked at um, the future earnings because they they've acquired GoCo, which is Go Compare, but. We, we did a comparison mm. then and go compare was the smaller business. I think it was worth, I can't remember. I want to say four to 600 million and money supermarket for me, the figures just blew it out of the water. It wasn't, it wasn't growing as well. It wasn't as profitable. The yield wasn't as good. So it's, it's the market leader and it doesn't look like they're getting caught. I don't think I'd mm. actually say it's a bit similar to Hargreaves Lansdowne mm. where the market leader is so good. It's a market you'd expect to grow. I don't think there's as much growth for this market as there is for Hargreaves Lansdowne. Although I guess they could branch out. There's plenty of other things they could branch out into, but I don't see the same potential market as there is for Hargreaves. But the market leader is just incredibly attractively priced in what's a very attractive market as well. I just, I find the valuation, I don't understand why it's so cheap, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Okay, so next on the list, we've got, well, we've got a couple of international stocks. So we've got Nestle. So Nestle, you've probably heard of it, the world's largest food company and the maker of Kit Kat and Nescafe. One Swiss franc is equal to 0.8 pounds sterling. That is helpful. So it, it, yeah, it's a Swiss, Swiss company. And they, did, they reported their highest sales growth in five years on Thursday. Sales growth on an organic pay, uh, on an organic basis rose three point six percent for twenty twenty from three point five percent in twenty nineteen, and for reference, we've talked about Unilever before. Unilever reported a sales growth of one point nine percent, so it was significantly higher than that. Not quite as high as Kraft Heinz, which also reported last week, which had sales growth of six point three percent. But the sales of the pet food under the Purina brand rose 10.2%, which helped offset the fall in some of the on-the-go products, such as bottled water, which was down 7%, and chocolate, which was down 1.5%. And the health science division also benefited from a rise in the sales of vitamin and mineral supplements, such as Garden of Life, Pure Encapsulations, and Persona, and sales in that division were up 12.2%. Underlying trading operating profit margin rose 0.2% to 17.7% due to a combination of cost cutting and lower marketing spend, despite the increased operational costs associated with the pandemic. Nestle also announced the sale of Poland Spring, Deer Park and Arrowhead bottled water brands for $4.3 billion to private equity in the U.S., um, Nestle has increased the dividend by five cents to 2.75 Swiss francs a share for 2020, which makes the yield at the current share price about 2.75%. And in terms of valuation, it's got a price to earnings of 22.8. Sam? I, I really liked it. I really like the business. It's, it's similar to Unilever and it's just a, it's a high quality business. You can just buy it and forget about it, and you can expect maybe low single-digit growth. The dividend yield's pretty good. My only complaint is the valuation. I know that it's growing a little bit more than Unilever, but when that's when it's at a P of twenty-two point five, and you can get Unilevers for eighteen, I'd probably go with Unilever. 
I think the, the 10 year average PE is 19.8. If it dropped to around that level or the earnings increased, I would be interested at that at that price, um, especially if that bumped the dividend yield up to more like more like three percent. But it's definitely a business that I like, and mm. it's it's just that it's it's not it's not their fault. It's just I think Unilever at the minute is a more reasonable valuation. Yeah, and I think the chief executive they've been selling up well with some of those water bands, the lower growth bits of the portfolio they've been selling. And it's looking like they're trying to make some acquisitions in some of the higher margin, higher growth brands. But I suppose it's it's yet to be seen whether that will increase improve the numbers really. Hard though when the business is that big. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Unilever's about a hundred billion market cap. Nestle is two hundred and eighty-six billion Swiss francs. So that's in pounds. That's more like a two hundred and twenty-eight billion market cap. So it's it's like 2.3 Unilevers, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's ginormous. But a quality business nonetheless. Yeah, um, yeah, was, yeah. I was just saying, though, it's hard for any, oh, any yeah. product to impact yeah. a business. Oh, yeah, of course, big. of course, of course. Similar to Unilever, it's sort of globally diversified and, yeah, very high quality, which doesn't really often come cheap, but probably of Kraft Heinz, Nestle, and Unilever. Maybe, well, Kraft Heinz and Unilever looking cheaper for sure is it something that you'd be interested in at the right price at the right price absolutely but I have Unilever already and you've got Racket as well don't you I've got I've got I've got got (laughs) (laughs) so it's definitely it's definitely a business I'd be interested in at the right price uh but probably not not quite cheap enough but you can you can always say that with some of these companies and would you like it uh, so where it said the 10-year average was pe was 19 would you be interested uh, at that level yeah and then i suppose you you know why not just go ahead now well no Um, i was just wondering if it dropped to 19 do you think it's something where it would be on the watch list and you would the only problem for me personally would be that i think i'm quite overweight sort of consumer goods and it's just again well (laughs) it's a good it's it's a the good point yeah i certainly consider it what about you would you be is it just the price really it's not really the kind of company i'd normally go for i do like the business though it's just it's a bit of a slower grower isn't it i mean you know what you're of getting. It's, it's a safer income stock in 50 years i'll probably have another look at it but at the minute <laughs> i think i could do better elsewhere yeah 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 I don't know what you get, whether you get any perks if you go to the AGM. I suppose they're probably not happening in person now, but get your San Pellegrinos, get your, well, Nescafe, maybe maybe not so much, but you can get you can probably get some Nespresso pods. Is that worth travelling to Switzerland for? I'm assuming that's I, I, I think so. I think so. But, yeah. Okay, so the final company on the list is Wix. Yeah, so Wix, which for full disclosure is actually a company that I bought last week. Okay. So, are you familiar with Wix, John? I know it's a web website builder. Never used it, but yeah, so know very okay. little about it. So, okay, so in that case, before I go into the results, I'm just going to explain the business a bit. So, I found a very good article, which for full credit is on Product Mint and by a man who only goes by Victor. I'll just read through some of the bits about the business. So Wix is a software as a service application that allows its customers to build their own websites and mobile sites based on the HTML5 standard. The Wix platform comes with 
a pre-built editor that allows users to edit, drag and drop items across all the pages users create. This removes the need for any manual coding, although users are still able to insert their own code. In most cases, users will choose from a set of pre-built templates and alter them according to their needs. On top of that, Wix offers a, multi a multitude of other features such as buying a domain, creating logos for your site or hosting it on the web. Additionally, developers can create third-party apps on the Wix platform. These applications extend, to the, extend the functionality of a created website and include gimmicks such as automatic currency converters, chatbots, or weather snapshots. Wix was founded in 2006 by Israeli entrepreneurs and brothers Avishai Abrahami, Nadav Abrahami, and Giora Kaplan. So the company is Israeli, but it's listed on the NASDAQ in the US. In terms of how Wix makes its money, they operate a freemium model to be able to attract users to its platform. And since the company is fully operational and on the cloud, uh, most of the cost of acquiring new users are variable and therefore quite low. So yeah, so you can, if you want to make a website, you can go to Wix, you can sign up for free, you can drag and drop whatever you want into your website as long as it's, as long as it's free. And then the company makes money through subscription plans, custom logos, or third-party apps. So for subscription plans, users, while you can opt in cr to create a free Wix website, the functionalities are sometimes limited. So if you're a starter, the free of charge website will have Wix.com as a subdomain and it won't allow you to connect to your own domain name. Consequently, premium plans will allow users to tap into a set of additional features, which include removing Wix's ads. I should have added as well, if you are on the free plan, They'll, they'll put ads on your website and they'll make a bit of money from that. But really, they want you to convert to a premium plan because that's where they really make the money. But they will make some money from the free users. So premium plans allow users to tap into a set of additional features, including removing their ads, higher storage and bandwidth, including your own domain, which is free for the first year, and priority customer support. They offer four different monthly plans called Connect, Connect Domain, Combo, Unlimited, and VIP. They also offer subscription plans, which are tailored towards business customers. And the set of features are similar to the consumer plans. They also will allow users to buy and register their own domain names. That's another source of revenue. And the domains can be purchased and connected once the user opts in for one of the many premium plans they offer. Another service they offer is the personalized mailbox. So that basically allows you to run your own email um, and it'll collect, connect to Outlook or whatever else. And it allows you to have emails at your websites, which you can then buy through Wix. They've got a Send by Wix, which is a customer relationship management tool that allows businesses hosted on Wix to build long-lasting relationships with customers whilst promoting their business. And the features include a contact list to keep track of potential leads and existing customers, an inbox to manage all interactions, a chat feature to help customers out, forms to allow customers to contact you more formally, creation of automated processes, such as sending out emails to different customer groups at certain schedules. And they have three different monthly subscriptions to this, which determine, for example, how, you, how many emails users can send to their customers or how many automation rules can be set. They've also got an app market, where, which allows third-party developers to create and publish applications that extend the features of a Wix website these include apps such as advanced visitor statistics, customizable pop-ups, live chats, and maps to help customers find you. Whilst many of these tools can be added for free, some of them are only available on a premium model. And as the operator of the platform, Wix takes a share of the premium customers pay to the developers of the apps. 
They've also got a logo maker, which allows you to create your own company or blog logo. And after you've created it, you pay a one-time fee to download it and use it on your websites. And they have also just launched a new feature called Editor X, which is made especially for designers and agencies. And it offers advanced design and layout capabilities that allow you to create complex website designs for any device, all without using code. So basically they've got, they've got a business model where you can come on for free and then as your business grows, they've got all these other tools they can sell you or you can subscribe for and that's how they make the money. So they have released their Q4 and full year results. It's 31 December 2020. Because there's so many different sections of the business, there's just so much in these results that you could pick out. Um, so I've, I've tried to keep it to the stuff that's most interesting to me or I, I think think's most essential for judging the performance of the business. But they've talked about for the year 2020 year, they had an influx of businesses to Wix, which, which has driven higher monetization and Wix payments revenue. That's actually another feature they offer, which I'll get onto in a bit, leading to improving cohort value, retention and compounding growth. They officially launched Editor X out of beta and introduced a game-changing set of collaboration tools. And they've announced the rebranding of their no-code slash low-code web application development platform Velo with a global marketing campaign. So the full year 2020 revenue was 989 million, which grew 30% year over year. Full year 2020 collections was 1.1 billion and that grew 32% year over year. So Collections include cash receipts for premium subscriptions purchased by revenue users, as well as cash they collect for payments and additional products and services, as well as payments due to them under the terms of contractual agreements for obligations of the fund. So it's, it's, um, it's basically cash in compared to revenue. Mm. Q4 revenue was 283 million, and that's actually grown at 38% year over year. So the growth for the quarter was higher than the year, so the growth is increasing. Q4 2020 collections were 306 million and that was up 35% year over year. Creative subscriptions, annualized recurring revenue is 878 million. So that means of, of the revenue they've got, most of it's recurring because it's people paying for a monthly subscription plan. They added 31 million new users in 2020 and they expect their future collections from their existing cohorts so the users have already got over the next 10 years to be $12.9 billion. So they've concluded the most successful year in the company's history. 2020, over 31 million new registered users joined Wix and they added nearly 1 million net new subscribers. They crossed the 1 billion threshold for annual collections for the first time. They said it was truly humbling to, lift, to help lift millions of businesses through an extremely challenging year. So they've become the, the global leading platform for creators with over 200 million users worldwide, with 31 million of those coming in the last year. Said so years of investment are producing accelerated growth. Online commerce on Wix boomed in 2020, more than doubling compared to a year ago. And I should have said at the start, this is from Ashivai Abrahami, who's the co-founder and CEO. This is part of his statements, which is part I've pulled out. He said he's also convinced that Wix has become the largest no-code and low-code web application development platform in the world. For these reasons, I've I've reset our long-term ambitions. It is clear we can now become a dominant player on the internet, and I expect us to strengthen this position significantly over the coming decade. Wix will now strive to become the main engine of the internet, democratizing access and providing a place where the majority of people will build their web presence. 
My goal and belief is that at this rate of growth in the next five to seven years, 50% of anything new built on the internet will be done on Wix. Nearly 3 million users are joining the Wix platform every month to use the creation platforms, Wix ADI, Wix Editor and Editor X. With this massive continuous growth, creators and business owners of all types and verticals imaginable are coming to Wix to build an online presence. For these reasons, we've invested in the development of multiple solutions that ensure the online success of any business type. We've introduced multiple business vertical solutions that enable online commerce, including Wix stores, Wix bookings, Wix restaurants, Wix events, Wix hotels, Wix music, Wix video, Wix art store, and Wix pricing plans. We have developed several horizontal solutions, including a send by Wix for marketing and customer management, Wix payments for, for financial services, Wix logo maker, Wix answers, and most recently Wix POS, our new point of sale solution. These innovations have evolved Wix into a full-blown software as a service solution for small and medium-sized businesses with multiple layers of growth. We are essentially supplying business owners with a complete online operating system. In the scale and growth of our online commerce plan section, they've said increasingly businesses of all types are coming to Wix to manage and grow their online commerce. Collections from online commerce users on Wix, including both creative subscriptions collections and business solutions collections, comprise nearly 30% of our total collections in 2020, which is almost 2x compared to the beginning of 2018 and roughly 5x compared to 2016. In the increasing contributions from business solutions section, they've said, we offer several products that help businesses succeed online. These include G Suite, Ascend, and more recently, business phone numbers and our Facebook ads product. Increasing the success of our users online increases retention and monetization, improving the growth of our user cohorts. Businesses of all types, including and beyond online commerce, are coming to Wix and increasingly adopting these products, which are subscription-based. At the end of Q4 2020, Business Solutions' annualized recurring revenue was $138 million, an increase of 46% year over year. In the rise of Wix payments section, they've said our growth and our user success is also determined by the recent growth of the Wix payments platform. We introduced Wix payments about two years ago to allow businesses to accept payments online natively on their Wix site through fast and frictionless onboarding and payment management. It's quickly becoming another instrumental pillar in our user success. We experienced significant growth in 2020 from Wix payments. Gross payment volume on Wix in 2020 was $5.4 billion, an increase of 126% year over year. Total revenue and collections generated by the Wix payments platform in 2020 was $53.6 million, an increase of 382% year over year. So that, that's the cut of the money that goes to them. Yeah. We expect the contributions of Wix payments to our overall growth in 2021 to be meaningful. We anticipate more online commerce users to come to Wix, which will increase usage of Wix payments and gross payment volume. Our current expectation is that gross payment volume will at least double to more than $10 billion in 2021 compared to 2020. We also expect to increase our take rate in 2021. So in 2020, the, the take rate was a 1% fee and they're expecting to increase that to 1.25 to 1.3%. In the online commerce creating lasting growth section, they've said cohorts of online commerce users generate more revenue over time, creating compounding growth far greater than the already positive growth of our user cohorts. So you can't see this because it's it's a graph but what they've got is they've got a graph and it shows basically whatever year you join the website they put you in a cohort for that year so think of it as like your year at school or whatever so the 2016 year of people who joined 2017 2018 2019 and 2020 has put them all in a graph and what the graph is showing very clearly is that the more time this cohort are on there the more revenue they collect from them and not only that 
but the newer cohorts are coming in and they're spending more straight away. So for example, the 2020 cohort spent over seven times what the 2016 cohort spent in their first year. And the 2016 cohort are spending more than, oh, they're spending almost five times what they spent in their first year. So it's, it's just feeding on itself, basically. <laughs> so they've just, so they've said even more exciting is that these online commerce user cohorts are becoming a larger part or growing faster than our overall business. In 2016, revenue from the newest online commerce user cohort comprised 13% of new cohort revenue that year, compared with 2020, in which revenue from the newest online commerce cohort was 37% of that year's new commerce revenue. They said, we are now raising our outlook for collections growth to 30 to 32% year over year in 2021. We expect the year to start strong with Q1 revenue growth of 35 to 37% and Q1 collections growth of 37 to 41% year over year. In terms of the geographic penetration, 57% of the revenue currently comes from North America, 26% from Europe, 5% from Latin America, and 12% from Asia and others. In terms of the growth, North America grew 42% year over year, Europe grew 38% year over year, Latin America grew 9% year over year, and Asia and others grew 28% year over year. So getting on to the valuation of the business, company currently trades at a market cap of 19.64 billion and that puts it at a price to sales ratio of about 20 and that's with a gross profit margin of 68 percent my view on the business and these results is that i think the results are very good however i think the actual potential upside for the business is i I find it quite hard to quantify just because and it's, it's not just something they're talking about potentially doing. They've got 200 million people using it and it's still growing 30% year over year. If they can increase the conversion of free users to paid ones, then that's obviously going to help. If they can keep growing it at the current rates and this conversion stays the same, I still see it doing very well. So where the CEO said in the next five to seven years, if they continue the current rate of growth, 50% of anything new built on the internet will be done on Wix. I just find that absolutely staggering. And the fact that they're only five to seven years off that on the current growth rates and the users they've got. So they, I don't know what the current percentage is, but it must be fairly significant if within five to seven years of 30% a year growth, they get to 50%. And I think when you've got that number of people building stuff and using your platform, there's so many different ways you can monetize them. As we're seeing with the business, there's just so many different ways that they are monetizing the users that we've, we've not really been able to scratch the surface and go into that much detail because I've tried to cover it all. I think the biggest threats, uh, firstly, dilution. So they are hmm. quite generous with the stock options that they're giving out to staff. <laughs> so for 2020, the dilution came in at the low end of their expected range, and that was 11.6%. Oh. So at the current rate, you've been diluted at about 11% a year. Oh gosh! You'd hope that comes down over time. Oh. Um, yeah, that that is that is a very real cost for shareholders that isn't. Yeah, I don't think really yeah. shows up in the current figures. And the other big risk is Shopify. I don't know if you're familiar with them, John, but they're basically they allow you to create an online shop, and it's basically a little business in a box, and they're going for the same types of customers. It's a bit different where with Wix you come on to create a website, and then maybe the business grows from there, but. If you say, I want to sell, I don't know, whatever it is you want to sell online, if you just wanted a little shop, you'd maybe go to Shopify instead of Wix. And as those two companies, and Shopify's numbers are also unbelievable. 
is actually growing faster. At the minute, they probably are quite different businesses, but as they both get larger, there's probably going to be more and more overlap. So that's also a potential issue. So John, your thoughts on Wix and those results? Uh, well, I mean, it's incredibly expensive, isn't it, as a business? But I think you... price of sales of 20 could be a lot more expensive. <laughs> mm, but it, well, okay you wouldn't describe it as cheap though no. um and yeah i wonder whether it's all all of the good news and all of the potential is baked into that share price i know you think that if what the directors have said were to be true and if they were to achieve that there is still significant upside left but i don't know i i, I do just struggle with it a bit um yeah yeah, I do. I do. I mean, the revenue growth is really impressive, but I don't know. It's pro- probably not one for me, but it's, yeah. But then I, yeah, I don't know. When I dug into it, and like I say, I bought it last week. I bought it at the start of the week that we're in. I was just blown away by it. Just the number of different ways they can monetize, the number of users they've already got. They, they've, I think they've barely scratched the surface of just monetizing the users they've already got. So then if you look mm. at the fact they're adding 30 million users a year. Yeah. They, I, think doesn't, it, I mean, it doesn't see, I suppose it depends if you're, if you're actually a business rather than just an individual operating, operating a website. I mean, I think it's sort of, it's about 18 pounds a month, which, yeah, I guess. For depends a, which a plan bit, you're looking at. It depends which plan you're looking at. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Business VIP. No, apologies. So the, the, the most popular is 16 pounds a month. And then, then that's yeah. assuming you use it and don't buy anything else. So you don't create yeah. a logo, you don't accept yeah. payments on there and you're not giving them the 1% fee. There's there's so much more yeah. they can get out of each user yeah. and still provide, like they're providing a really good service. And you mentioned the com- potential competitors, Shopify. Are there any others out there? There's another one called Big Commerce, I think. They're more, they're, again, they're quite, I think they're quite similar to Shopify and what they're doing. I've not, they're not a business I've really looked at. I have looked at Shopify and it's just unbelievably expensive. It's much bigger than Wix, or at least in terms of the valuation. I think it's a price of sales or something like 80 or something silly like that. So in comparison, it makes Wix look cheap. Yeah, and they, they are they are very different in what they I mean I'd say a I'd say a more a more direct competitor to Wix would actually be more like WordPress. But okay. it's, it's just that as Shopify grow, as Shopify and Wix grow, and they're both targeting basically businesses, you would expect that's going to overlap because you're not going to have a business on Shopify and Wix. It would be one or the other. And I think at the minute where if, if you're making a website and it just turns into a business and you do it through Wix, you're probably never going to go to Shopify. But if you're already aware of Shopify and you're thinking, right, I've got a business in mind, I just want a, basically a business in a box, it the Shopify is probably what you'd go for, I think. And it's as Wix mm. try and basically go for, it's, it's getting the enterprise customers. I think that's where they're more competing with Shopify. Okay. Okay. Well, it's an interesting business nonetheless. Yeah. So yeah. of the six companies we've looked at today, Segro, British American Tobacco, Primary Health Properties, Money Supermarket, Nestle and Wix. If you had to buy one, which one would it be and why? Oh, I'm, I think it's it's difficult actually this week. Um, I definitely like Segro. It's certainly not the cheapest um, of the companies that we discussed, but it seems to be very much on trend, on momentum with where the market's going for online retail. 
Um, and it's got, you know, a, a dividend yield and it's got a, a fair bit of growth, I would assume, ahead of it. So I do quite like Segro. Um, but I think the case that you made for money supermarket was also quite attractive. And if you look at the financials, excluding 2020, assuming things are, were going to be getting to back to some sort of normality, I think money supermarket is quite attractively priced at the moment. Um, so I'd probably be torn between those two. Possibly money supermarket, you know. Ah. Possibly money supermarket. Um, I mean, Wix, it sounds like a great business, but it's just... I, you I don't can't pay my... 20 times sales, do you? Well, yeah, I don't. But uh, but then I don't get the sort of uh, returns that some of those US tech companies get. So that's... It's an uh... Israeli tech company, technically. Okay, so, well, let's US listed. Okay. Um, what what about you? I mean, I suppose... I, I think I would have to go question. to Wix. Wix. You've that. already bought I've, Wix I've just bought it, week. but I do yeah. own Money Supermarket, and I, I do really like that as well. Um yeah. So it would be very difficult. I think just the fact that I have actually bought Wix this week, I probably do have yeah. to go with that. Um, yeah. So we do, before we finish, we do have a listener question. Imaj invests. It's how do you hedge against currency movements for the US stocks in your portfolio? Do you want to answer that one, Sam? You've probably got more US stocks than I do. Yeah, so the, the answer is I don't. Um, I just there's not a huge <laughs> amount you can do about it. Um, I, I think the only the only thing you can really do is try and have a globally diversified portfolio. I mean, I wouldn't it's I wouldn't be 100% invested in US stocks, and that is partly a reason. I think if you try and build a globally diversified portfolio, it's less of an impact. And then I'd also try and view it as a positive thing, depending on your age, because if I, if I look at my example, my portfolio, for example. If the exchange rate, if the dollar pound exchange rate moves in a way where the value of my US stocks goes up, psychologically, it's quite nice and, and I have made money. But when I'm 25 years old, I'm still actually buying those stocks. It's actually making them more expensive for me to buy, even though the value of the stocks I've got is going up. So when the exchange rate goes down, although the value of my US when the exchange rate moves in a way where the value of my US stocks has decreased, it's actually sort of a good thing um, because it means that when I'm buying US stocks, I'm getting them a little bit cheaper than I was when the exchange rate was different. Um, there's a Warren Buffett, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's a, there is a Warren Buffett quote where he says that celebrating when stock prices go up is like celebrating when the price of petrol goes up because you've just filled <laughs> up. But in reality, you're going to be paying more for petrol over time. So the fact that you've just got a full tank isn't really something to celebrate. And so I think that's a good way to think about it. And I think if you're just picking great companies over the long term and you're trying to build a globally diversified portfolio, it's it's not really something that's going to make or break you either way, I don't think. What about you, John? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have some US exposure, but... It's part of a globally diversified portfolio, so it doesn't worry me too much. Um, potentially later in life, it might that might change, but at, at the current stage, it, it's not really a concern. Okay. I think that's everything. I think that's everything. Is there anything you want to talk about? No, I think that's everything for this week. 
Thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.